now. This is Always Be Watching. It's our regular discussion about the shows that we've been watching. It's just right there. That's it. That's all you have to say, Dan. It's done. How are you going? Look, I'm fine. I've had better weeks. I've had worse. That's good. Yeah. Do you want to get into it? Um, like why things have been so middling for me? <laughs> yeah. Well, I got sick. I had like this sort of flu thing going on. And yeah, that's no good. Yeah, no and, like I started feeling better and then I felt much worse and I felt a bit better and then like significantly worse. But now I'm feeling quite good. <laughs> good. I'm glad to hear yeah. that. It's, it's been quite the roller coaster. <laughs> Sounds like it, yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know what happens when you're sitting on the couch and you've got the opportunity to watch a bunch of TV, okay? You take the opportunity. So I certainly did that while I was sick. Excellent. But I realized that I could only really watch like things to discuss here if I scheduled them in between like 7.30 to about like 11.30 in the morning, because after that, I kind of wore myself out and I wasn't able to focus entirely. So I did some very quality viewing in that short window. Wow. Morning watching. Morning watching. That's fantastic. I can't wait to hear what you watched in the morning. Some people like to do it like late at night. Me, I like it first thing in the morning. (laughs) That's excellent. Yeah. Let me just very quickly ask you, what have you been watching? I started out my viewing with a film called Lost in London. I have never heard of this film. I bet you're shocked to hear that. Look, I don't think many people have heard of this film. I don't, it's less a film as it is a film event. Oh. So this happened in January of, I want to say, 2018. And I only found out about it literally a few hours before it happened. And there was no Australian presence for this at all. But Woody Harrelson, you I'm, may know him. I'm listening. Yeah. Woody Harrelson, you may know him. He's the star of the best TV show ever. Cheers. Cheers. He wrote the film, he directed the film, and stars in the film. What? He is in it as Woody Harrelson. Okay, he's got a bunch of his celebrity friends playing... (laughs) Just read the Playing cameos for themselves. (laughs) Okay, so like Owen Wilson's in there for quite a fair bit. He gets into a fight in a pub with him. You've got a cameo by Willie Nelson at one point as well. Woody and Willie both big fans of the marijuana. They are. There is a small moment where Woody is uh, taken into a cell by police and he has to quickly swallow a bud that he's got sitting in his pocket. <laughs> anyway, it's all very good. And I will say that for the first maybe 50 minutes of it, it is hilariously funny and engaging and then it just kind of hits this wall and it never really quite recovers. But here's what's interesting about the film, Chris. Everything you've said about it so far is interesting to me. No, no, no. Here's the really interesting thing. The film was not filmed like a traditional movie is. Rather, it was filmed live to be beamed into cinemas as it was happening. So, effectively, it's the equivalent of a stage play taking place. Whoa. Okay, but like out in the world with cameras following around and it's a very heavily orchestrated thing. Like, the preparation for this would have been intense. And it's literally Woody Harrelson going in and out of, like, a hotel and some bars and at a police station for a while, sort of going down the street. There's a few car chases that take place, a few foot chases. Nothing really too extreme, but it's happening. But, like, it's a full experience. Of, it feels like a movie with a lot of conversation happening because that's the only way you can do this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but it's all effectively one shot. Okay, like, there's no edits. Because you can't really do that. They're not, so, they're not even camera switching? No, they're not camera switching. It's what? all just coming from the one. So, every so often, you might see the camera sort of take a turn where you're, like, looking down an alleyway. And then it'll swing back and you'll see Woody sort of engaged in action. And I'm sure during... And I saw that maybe happen about three or four times through the film. And I reckon during that, there might have been, like, an opportunity for Woody to understand exactly where he's at and make sure that oh, everything's yeah, working. Oh, yeah, right, right. Okay, because obviously, he's, he's writing, he's directing, and starring in it. So, it's a... Uh, Big effort on his shoulders to make sure that everything is, you know, going to plan. So I don't, because I've seen it all now. So I'm tempted to go back and work out where those cheats are within it so you can make sure the production's on track. 
But yeah, it's mind blowing, mind blowing stuff. Yeah. So it's so it's literally shot in the real time as well. It's literally shot in real time, oh except God. towards the end. There's a bit of a cheat where Woody has to go into a cell overnight, and it's actually based on a real life experience he had in the early 2000s, <laughs> where he got taken in by police for destroying an asteroid in a taxi cab. Right. Yeah, it's a thing that happened. <laughs> So when he's in there, like he's in there all night, and so you sort of see like some light come in and that sort of thing. So they sort of play around with the time aspect from the prison right at the end of the film. That's amazing stuff. Yeah. When is I say it, prison, watch house. Did you read much about it? Is like, uh, did- here's the thing. So I knew about the film taking place because I'd found out that oh, later today Woody Harrison's doing the stunts. And then I looked around in like cinemas, and particularly in Sydney, you'd think one of the Sydney cinemas would be playing this. Nothing. Nothing happened with it. Yeah, wow. it was very disappointing. I guess when something is so cutting edge, yeah. it takes a little while to cut, to catch on. Listen, and like no one was talking about it. Like I never heard yeah, no, like no. much publicity around it, and no one's really tried this sort of stunt since. Like it's been a year and a half. Yeah, now, yeah. So it kind of got kind of been a massive smash or anything. But I just don't think it was well promoted. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You only get one shot. I guess you got to get people in there to watch it. It's very oh, strange. Look, absolutely, but what yeah, is, absolutely phenomenal. Awesome concept. Apparently, as soon as the film had finished, uh, he then appeared in a cinema and did a Q and A. Amazing. Yeah, just I, incredible. I can't even imagine how cool that would have been. Um, but yeah, if you watch it now, it still holds up as an interesting film done in one take. Yeah, and I don't think most people who watch it now will actually understand that it was being filmed live for cinemas to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. So does it still? Does it feel like an actual? If you didn't know that, could you be fooled into thinking it was just a movie? Look, I mean, if you watch it, you'll certainly feel that something's a little awry with it. Yeah. Okay, just purely because it is filmed in one take and it kind of feels like it's just an experimental, like, arty approach to cinema. But yeah. it's just a fascinating... It experience. sure is. Woody is, is responsible for so much great stuff, of course. Uh, as you said, the greatest TV show of all time. Yeah. Also, uh, the greatest Star Wars movie of all time. So uh, Woody Harrelson. Let's not get too crazy here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris... We've mentioned that he's from the greatest TV show of all time. Here's the one thing I'm going to tell you, which is going to say, oh, yeah, I'd like to watch this movie. Because right now you seem very lukewarm on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I'm, I'm not torrenting it on my phone right now. There's one great scene where he's trying to get into this nightclub where he was with some princes that have uh, told him that, you know, stick with us, you get in there. <laughs> so all the princes go into this uh, nightclub and the bouncers, like, hold Woody back from going in. And he's like, oh, I was with those guys. And then he tries to use his celebrity leverage to get in. And, like, he's... Because it's set in the early 2000s. So he's trying to tell them that, you know, I was in White Men Can't Jump, a decent proposal, and like they weren't really buying it. And then, like, he just sort of looks down at the ground for a moment and just starts singing the Cheers theme song. Oh my God. It's fantastic. Yeah, I'm so sold. I'm going to be, yes, trying to find that one tonight. Yeah. Just fascinating. Fantastic. Lost in London. Lost in London. And you can find that streaming in the US on Hulu. And I'm not sure if you can find it in Australia or anywhere. But, you know, there's obviously ways you can find it if need be. I feel like uh, you're going to ask me a question that I'm going to have a very ordinary... I don't know, I don't know how I can follow that. Look, I started out very strong. <laughs> but Chris... I'm going to give it a try. I reckon you've been watching something interesting. Okay, I'll try. Sorry, what have you been watching? <laughs> I have been watching the Dark Crystal uh, Age of Resistance. Okay, Chris... I'm a man, you're a man. We both love Muppets. Love Muppets? I can't get enough Muppets. Now, how does this hold up? Because, look, I've read some critical reviews and most of them are gushing with praise. Look, well, I'm going to be not... I'm going to turn that tap off and not gush quite so hard. Look, I, I really... I watched it mostly out of curiosity, to be honest. Like, I'm, Sorry, can I ask a question? Yeah. What's your relationship with the film? Well, I watched it when I was a kid a lot. I yeah. loved it. I would have been the target... 
age, I reckon, when it came out. Um, and yes, definitely had very fond memories of watching it. Would have had a VHS copy, probably taped off the television. Yeah, I guess they're gonna. I guess the man's gonna come down on me for that now too. Um, and yeah, loved it. You know. It, it was always a little frightening and stuff, but I definitely, um, I never totally got into the worlds of sort of wizards and all that kind of thing when I was a kid, but I was very much involved in this little fantasy world. I always found it frightfully dull. Right. Well, there so, you go. So, like yeah. my, my nana had it on tape, so <laughs> right. it was one of those things that, oh, no, go you know, well, when I was visiting nana, like, I could go through those tapes, and every so often I'd pull that one out. But hope she at least had some hard candy for you to eat while you were watching it. Um, yeah, so look, I'm, I'm sure you would have exactly the same reaction. There's some really interesting stuff. It's fa- Obviously, the, th- the things you need to mention and the things you need to talk about are it's fantastic that they're doing a puppet movie in or a puppet TV show in this day and age. Like, it's just sort of, it seems a novelty in itself to be relying almost completely on practical effects. Uh, in this kind of fantasy world in these days. Because, I mean, obviously there's been Muppet TV shows for the last, you know, 20-odd years. Yeah. But that's always the Muppets playing around in, you know, like, theatres and stuff. But this yeah. is like a full-on, yeah, this is like, like, narrative, theatrical sort of experience. That's right. The Muppets sort of have some level of self-awareness that they're Muppets, I think. Yeah. No, they absolutely do. <laughs> or at least, yeah, you know, the joke is that they are. Um, whereas, yeah, this is, of course, asking you to suspend your whole disbelief. And really, yeah, that's not- like Gonzo running around loving chickens. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's not that difficult to do. Like, I mean, I, I sort of fell into the story straight away and stuff. Um, the, uh, the, the, the sort of premise is interesting. So the Skeksis have got, you know, they're the, the ugly bad ones. But those are the big, like, bird type creatures. Yeah. So they have the, uh, they, they are, um, Protecting the dark crystal is what the residents of the um, fantasy world believe, and the even though they rule with an iron fist and uh, you know deprive the poor gelflings and uh, others of their uh, sort of liberties and you know basically have them in an almost life of slavery, they are willing to go along with this because the um, the Skekskis, uh, if I'm saying that right, it sounds wrong when I say it, are um, prote- you know are protecting this valuable resource, the resource, of the source of all their life, which is this dark crystal. Instead of protecting it, of course, the Skekskis are drawing from it and sucking it of all its power and hoarding all its power for themselves so that they can live forever. They're millions of years old, thousands of years old, who cares? And they, the, this is their way, of, the, the only way they can be immortal is to keep draining the power from this crystal. And the crystal, of course, is starting to crack and it's starting to lose its um, luster, so they're not getting the same power off it, so they're starting to freak out. So it's very easy to draw the, the quite interesting comparisons with the idea that, you know, the elite are controlling and hoarding the resources of the world, and we're all just sort of a victim to them. Wait a sec, Chris. Is there some sort of <laughs> metaphor going on with this series? Look, I mean, you know, that's just the first episode. Like, I'm, I'm sure it's probably going to get more. Uh, it might get a little bit more in-depth than that. It might not. It's just, I just did not find it an enjoyable experience to watch. And I don't know whether I was expecting to. I was mostly watching it out of curiosity. I I think go a bit deeper into the show. Yeah, maybe. But like, I just, I just kind of, there was, there was not enough. I'm I'm not, I say maybe, but I'm definitely not going to. Like, there was like, there there was not enough of a hook for me to sort of want to stick it out. And there's no, there's no like, there's no fun. There's no joy. There's certainly no comedy in the show. So it's kind of like, just not what I really need so, in life it's so like that was always my problem with the initial dark crystal yeah well like, it it's very so, much i mean so they've so captured that dumb. mood they've captured that mood very well i think uh but look, there's I, a lot more action that takes place within this than i remember from the dark crystal which is a lot of muppets standing around well there certainly wasn't any in the first episode it was all very dull i mean it was all very kind of 
There, it, there was a lot of conversation and it was all kind of establishing the story and stuff. So maybe that will develop from there. Look, from a lot of the conversation I've heard around it, because people of whom have watched the entire run of the show have mm. been completely gushing about it. Right. And I feel that maybe it's something which does spend a couple... Because it's like any sort of fantasy story. It takes a little bit of time for the... You know, Absolutely, there was, yeah, I, oh, yeah. I can totally see that. You know, it was all it was all establishing stuff in the first one, but it was just like, yeah, I just didn't care. But you know, um, I'm glad I delved into it. I, I'm really curious as to who the audience is, though. Like, I kind of watched it half of watching it, thinking, oh, this will be something fun to watch with my kid. That's not the garbage cartoons he forces me to watch all the time. And the, but there's no way. Like, he's five, and there's no way I can watch it with him. And it's just it'll, it'll be too scary, I think. And then it's kind of like. Well, what kind of age kid, you know, maybe if you were, I don't know, like what, I don't know whether the balance is there that for, for it to be a kid's show where it stops being scary, but then is like still interesting enough to you as a kid. As not being a kid anymore, I can't really comment on that, I guess. Yeah, I think the core audience for it is people in their 40s to yeah, 50s. Yeah, I mean, and that's it too. And then, so thinking about that was like, well, and it's not doing it for me, so, you know. Who is it really for? Yeah. Which is I, why I went down that trail of thought, I guess. I will admit I've watched the first 10 minutes of episode one, and it just was not what I was in the mood for. Nah, and maybe that could be it too. I might come yeah. back to it and think of it as something different. But if you're expecting something that uh, rekindled that original spark of the show that you saw and you were expecting uh, more of the same, you would not be disappointed, I would say. So anyway, there's my review. <laughs> That's not even a review. That's just like, meh. The Dark Crystal. But, it, you know, it's uh, I can understand that people are... There's a lot of things to be interested in about it and a lot of things to be excited about it. It's a gorgeous-looking show. Oh, it's fan- Yeah, like visually and stylistically, it's amazing, you know. so And, and I think, you know, having captured what they did back then, and I'm going to say in the 80s, right? Um, Correct, sir. So, well, again, um, you know, like to, to be able to capture that today, I think, and, and present it in a way that looks the same and sort of feels like it's still in that universe... And still feels the same, and the characters still have that same sort of emotion. And I mean, that's a that's a big achievement. Yeah, especially since a lot of the Jim Henson stuff lately that's made for children is, of course, computer animated, and they still sort of use the puppets style. You know, the stylized version of the puppets, but it's all just um, done on computers and looks weird and stupid. Yeah, like there's a Muppet Babies TV show at the moment, which yeah, just looks horrendous. Just, they're just all horrible. So like, there's a whole bunch of them, but um, yeah, so it's. You know, obviously a relief they didn't do that. And mm. Yes, kudos for trying something different. And I'm, I'm glad the idea... I like the idea of these puppeteers who have been out of work for 30 years maybe getting another crack at a job. Yep, so anyway, that's it, Dan. That's The Dark Crystal. It's on uh, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. It's on Netflix. Um, a, a massive corporation talking about how bad corporations are. Yet again. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you were going to talk about another TV show briefly as well? Yes, I am, sir. I want to talk to you about the TV show Succession. I don't know anything about this TV show. Okay. Let like, me Google it. You, you haven't heard anyone talking about it? I really haven't, no. Okay, because conversation's been bubbling about the show a bit the last few weeks. I don't, I don't get out much anymore. I don't talk to people about <laughs> stuff. People just... Ugh. Okay, so Chris, what's the greatest TV show ever made? Cheers. Okay, what's the other greatest TV show ever made? Peep Show. Correct. <laughs> Now, what if I told you that one of the rides from Peep Show was producing a series for HBO, which is about a very high-end media family of whom the entire show is about the power plays that exist within the family to destroy one another while dropping greatly like lines of dialogue Peep Show style. I would say it. Sign me up. Okay, here's the thing with the show. 
people talk about how great the dialogue is, but you'll be well aware of what the dialogue is because you've seen Peep Show. Right, it's it's okay. that similar. So, Peep Show is like the antithesis of what Succession is. It's like they've inverted the shows entirely. Yeah, right. Okay, so while Peep Show was very much about the power imbalance that existed in a small flat in London, yes. you've got Mark, who's very middle class... Wants to London. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, he's, he's definitely middle class. Okay, yeah, 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 sure. He's aspiring to maybe make it up to upper middle class, <laughs> yes, but he's very much middle class. Fair enough, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then you've got Jez, his housemate, of whom has, like, barely ever has a job. Yes. Okay, and he's definitely lower class London, who's being sort of pulled up financially by Mark's sort of willingness to, you know, deal with Jeremy and his, you know, jez ways. <laughs> and mummy up to a point, but only up to a point. yeah. So, you've got like the sort of power imbalance that exists within that, and that is the crux of what Peep Show is all about. I would say that maybe, uh, the, you know, the, the power balance dynamic is a very important part of it, but I would say it's actually about what the evil that lurks within the hearts of men that we keep in our inner monologues. And look, that's true. So, the inner monologues is really where you get like the real sort of witty, like yes. sharp, funny lines. So, succession, you don't hear internal monologues because all the characters are spurred at each other is just like their internal (laughs) monologues. Yeah, right. Excellent. So, while definitely each of these characters have agendas, okay, like they are very surface in what they'll say with those really funny bitter lines. And this is what's great about succession. It is a British comedy, but set in the US about a US media mogul family. You've got the main character played by Brian Cox, who's the patriarch of the family. He suffers some ill health in the first season, but in the second season now, he's back to running the company. And in his absence in the first season, you've got these two brothers who are jockeying to really take over the company and lead it to great heights. You've got the, their sister, whose name is Shiv, which I just think is fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and so she is working as a political um, operative for a Democratic campaign. Uh, the guy that she's working for is Eric Bogosian, if you know that actor. Of course I know Eric Bogosian from the... Because uh, you've watched 90s independent cinema. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and he was, a big, he was a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. What's that amazing Oliver Stone movie, Talk Radio? People look at it being about the Murdoch family, but it's not really quite that. It's a composite of all the various sort of big media mogul families. So it's very much the Murdochs, but it's also the Redstones, who own National Amusements, which owns Viacom and CBS and oh, a yes. bunch of other assets. Uh, and you can definitely look at the character of Shiv being very much sort of tied to like that um, Redstone sort of family. Yep. Uh, but like the Murdochs obviously play a bit of a role here. And so the family actually have a Fox News-like media holding. Right. Okay, as long with like all the theme parks and movie studios and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the episode to me that speaks the most about what's really true to the essence of what the program is and the way that all these characters are operating on different levels of power and where they're aspiring to be and where they realize they are and, you know... For sure. Whether they're actually content with it being at that level or really where they want to sit in the chain of it all, okay, is really well encapsulated in the most recent episode of the show. So the most recent episode has them at the office of the Fox News studio where, like, they've got a meeting taking place and there's an active shooter incident that Uh, takes place while they're there. So what happens is um, all the executives get taken off to, um, like, uh, safety rooms. Okay, it's not quite a panic room, but, you know, it's like a safety sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which has been designed to make sure that, you know... For when the inevitable thing place, happens. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, anyway, people are freaking which out. Which surely these does guys, exist in the all these organizations. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But, yeah, so you've got one set of characters of whom end up in one room, and one of the guys is looking around, and it just kind of looks a little bit basic, and it's just a bit crappy. He's waiting for the patriarch of the family, Logan Roy, to turn up in there. And he doesn't arrive. And so he's like, is Logan in the building still? Like, he couldn't really quite figure out exactly what was happening. But what he doesn't realize is that there's a better room 
That's elsewhere <laughs> in the building, which is very plush with very nice sofas right. and uh, bottles of fruit around. The executive bottle- panic room. <laughs> bottles executive, of water executive. that have been chilled there. Whereas they're in this crappy room, which is literally the same as like any terrible like break room in yeah, any yeah, office right. thing. Uh, <laughs> one of the characters realizes that if there was going to be a gas attack, like they're not safe from it in any possible way. But I'm sure they're safe up here in Logan's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, it's just a very funny way to approach the idea of power. The actual, yes, the dynamics that even exist within that yeah. that section. Very cool. Absolutely. But anyway, Succession, check it out because wildly funny. But also you hear about critics talking about just how wildly funny it is. It isn't really quite that. It's very, it's much like Peep Show if all the jokes are just the internal monologues where they're just like really sort of sniping. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not like laugh out loud. Like you're not going to be holding your stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? Like you'll occasionally hear a funny line, which will have you, you know, yeah, give a bit sure. of a chortle. Okay, but it's it's very cerebral. And I'm sure these, those are, these are the kind of things that get better with repeated viewings as well. Like Peep Show is funny the first time you watch it, but it's like it just keeps getting better and better. And there's a real, there's something about that. The 15th time you watch them eat mumsy. <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, Succession, definitely give it a look. And yeah, maybe the first two or three episodes are a little bit, it's not really quite rough because it feels like very polished, very schmick production. But at the same time, I think it takes a little bit of time for them to settle in with exactly where the characters are and where the strengths of those characters are. But yeah, you'll dig it. Excellent. Where could you see that one? Uh, You can watch it on anything that carries HBO shows. So in Australia, it's on Showcase. Uh, But in the US, maybe you can find it on a thing called HBO. Cool. Now, Chris, you've probably been watching something else. Um, very late last night, uh, I watched a, a new a, a stand-up comedy um, special that is on Netflix called Sticks and Stones by Dave Chappelle. Chris, I believe you want to say the controversial Sticks and Stones. <laughs> it seems like there's no other way to talk about it, really, is there? A <laughs> uh, bit of background history, a bit of background for you. Dave Chappelle, Chappelle Show. One of the greatest shows of all time, short-lived, turned a up-and-coming um, comedian into a massive, ridiculously huge, sought-after superstar, um, two series down, kind of a mix, mixture between stand-up and skits, um, endlessly quoted, uh, got so big, got so massive that Chappelle vanished off the face of the earth for a good 20 years. So yeah, Chappelle show finished in what, 2003? It started in 2003, finished in 2006. Okay, so 2006 is roughly when he disappeared. And it was probably like maybe about four years ago that he started doing a lot more like clubs and just sort of touring That's around. right, it started popping up again, didn't he? So Chappelle as a stand-up comedian is generally considered to be one of the best. Okay, so comedians are just completely gaga over his abilities on stage. And then people of whom are like big comedy nerds are also just excited by Chappelle. Yes, so a couple of years ago when he started sort of really mounting a comeback, and you can't really call it a comeback, because essentially what he did is he just started playing shows again. Yeah. So he was sort of touring around a place and he'd sort of just pop up somewhere, like he wouldn't necessarily have an advertised show somewhere, but he'd just fly to like, you know, he'd go to Minnesota or something and he'd just like appear in a comedy club and, you know, just work on his material and he was just kind of getting back to it. Yeah. Uh, he started doing... There was actually a series of shows he did in New York City, which one of my huge life regrets was that the very week I was in New York City <laughs> oh, and I didn't go. I could have gotten tickets. You didn't know about it? Or oh, no, thought- I knew about it. I just thought, you know, hmm. it was a thing. Okay, and all right. Yeah, no look, it's, it's haunted me ever yeah, since. Sure. Chappelle came back to sort of broad public consciousness in a point where we in Australia would probably see Chappelle like, coming back into our lives as part of this Netflix deal where he got paid an obscene amount of money to produce a bunch of specials for them. So I think there's been two already, and this is the third one that's cropped up. 
Yes. Is that right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, When the first two came out, he upset, like, definitely a lot of people online because he's a provocateur. Yes. So, you have to realize that a lot of things he's saying on stage isn't necessarily things that he believes in, but as things of which he knows is going to get a reaction and is things of which he feels that he can play around with as part of an online persona as to what he's doing. And so, you reach, like, this special, which people were probably looking at with a bit of uh, trepidation, (laughs) because he had upset so many people with those first two specials. And there's definitely been... I think it's been an interesting response, because the response I've seen, and this made... You know, obviously, people are in different bubbles, and people don't really necessarily see the same thing. The difference that I've seen from the first two specials to what I've seen over the last week since Sticks and Stones was released is last time it was just lots of outrage and lots of voice given to people, you know, upset about the outrage. Whereas I'm now seeing people of whom are like, you know what, it's actually kind of funny. It's not really anything to be upset about. And it's kind of that sensible pushback that I'm witnessing. And I'm just noticing more of that. (laughs) See, I didn't want to talk about this at all because I just feel like it's very hard to uh, talk about it in a way that's not um, being inflammatory or being deliberately... Like it's just such a, it's it's polarizing. I had two very close, two of my closest friends um, this week message me in secret. One of whom saying that uh, they are definitely never supporting Chappelle again. That they were um, that they had serious reservations about it. Um, that they just thought you know thought a lot of it was just just mean and um, you know damaging to uh, commu- to specific communities. Um, particularly the trans community. Um, and then I had somebody else who messaged me pr- even more privately to say that it was the funniest thing they've seen in years and that I had to watch it and that it was, you know, and both of these people are people whose opinions I take on very well, very, you know, take to, uh, that, that I give a lot of weight to. Uh, so I immediately had to sit down and watch it. Actually, I was already going to watch it when um, I was told it was terrible and outrageous um, because I just needed to sort of see that for myself. But look, you know, uh, I didn't... Uh, I, I laughed a lot. It's so funny. He's unbelievably. If you if you break it down to the to the bare core of like, is what this guy doing making people laugh? Is he a funny person? It's like absolutely yes. Um, do I think that everything that he said was appropriate in it? Certainly not. But is that a problem? I don't know. Well, the thing is, a comedian's supposed to be transgressive. Dave Chappelle sets his comedic benchmark as questioning what's going on in society and really getting to some of the deepest truths that exist within. Through Sticks and Stones, he's talking about gun ownership. He's talking about... Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know. LGBTQI people and mostly about like their responses against him with previous material. Yeah. Uh, he actually has a fairly interesting metaphor talking about them all being in cars and like it was all just a bit clunky and a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was yeah. one line in it which he was talking about the way that gay men are more or less driving the car of the rest of the, you know, what he refers to as the letters. The thing that he expresses is that gay men generally have the most uh, perceived public power there because they've been fighting it for longer, but also because a lot of them are generally sort of reasonably wealthy white men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, and like, that's an interesting thing that needs to be pointed out. And I don't think he can get to that truth without possibly breaking, like stepping on some eggshells to get there. Like, he's incredibly smart. And that's the thing that is, uh, you know, like apparent about all of it. And that like... I mentioned um, to you earlier when we were talking about whether we were going to discuss this, just to break the magic for a second. Yeah, yeah. That there's a fantastic episode of Atlanta, which um, uh, from the first season, where Paperboy, the rapper, and a um, I think it's an LGBTIQ uh, activist, who I think is um, 
I haven't watched it since it since it aired, but the, but the conversation is basically, and that was a good sort of two or three years ago. Wasn't yeah, yeah, it? it was a good, yeah. yeah, at least that, and it was sort of uh, in in the episode, Paperboy's getting pulled up for making um, comments about you know a, a trans person as you know how, how weird that is and how you know um, he does a tweet about something like that, and um, there's this kind of panel show that he's he's brought onto a panel show to apologise and to sort of talk it through and to to sort of say it, and he. And, and again, clunkily and similarly to the way um, Dave Chappelle does it, but talks about how uh, it's very difficult for the um, for for a black person in America to be too sympathetic to other people's um, causes for and quest for equal- equality when they are still so far down on the ladder of equality. Um, and there's there's definitely something in there that uh, I think Chappelle is getting at and that I can't quite, you know, that I don't have any context for, obviously. But um, it's an interesting thing that I think uh, that Chappelle is revisiting there and it's a conversation that will definitely continue to go on, I think. Um, is Chappelle going to get cancelled? Are the call-out <laughs> culture well, police going to cancel him? As I was saying earlier, what I found so fascinating is seeing just a bit of a pushback against the general attitude I saw around those first couple of specials where people are saying, look, it's actually funny, it's saying some interesting things. And really, to me, like that's what stand-up really should be doing. I mean, sometimes you're going to hear something that's a bit offensive, and I can appreciate that if you're a member of a specific marginalised community and find that he said something which is fairly offensive to you and your people, okay, I can imagine feeling upset about that. Yeah, 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 totally. Okay, but broadly, I kind of feel that you get... like. What's great about stand-up comedy is that I can get some truths which are not for polite conversation. Yeah. And sometimes you need that conversation to take place. And this is one of the few avenues that's like a public square opportunity to have those conversations and to change thinking to a certain degree. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you get to hear some terrible, just like gross stuff. But at the same time, sometimes you need to hear terrible, gross things. Yeah. So I'm still not sure. I, I mean, I really, I've got a lot of, I think I've still got a lot of, um, you know, respect for what he does and for just like the level of the, the way he he sculpt he the way he crafts the words and stuff is just incredible. The way he delivers a joke is incredible. There was stuff in the Chevelle show that doesn't that that absolutely would not fly today. Um, just to just to draw another another comparison, it's really interesting to see um, that you know Eddie Murphy after twenty years or after however however long twenty years is just my default for a, a long length of time, obviously. Um, but you know, there's hey, a, when was World War Two? About twenty years ago, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Um, the Crusades. <laughs> Maybe forty years, I think. Um, Eddie Murphy's making a comeback, as you know. We've been talking about that a, f- a bit. Um, we, we're yet to see the fruits of that, but I think that was going to be through stand-up comedy specials and stuff as well. Um, no doubt, a movie or two will come from that. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not too sure, but I know he's making a Saturday Night Live appearance. For the yeah, first yeah, time there's as a host since 1984. Yeah, there was definitely something, but you know, um, Chappelle talks about Kevin Hart getting cancelled. You know, from well, literally, well, quitting the Oscar um, thing over the. Um, 10 year old tweets he made that were ridiculous and uh, obviously incredibly homophobic um uh, but obviously not done from a place of serious homophobia considering how ridiculous they were um and you know he talks about his how much he how much he thinks he's just a you know a nice guy all that kind of stuff all the stuff that you can go oh yeah yeah right oh right oh but you're looking back at if you you don't have to dig into tweets to to find some really uh, offensive stuff from Eddie Murphy that would be uh, considered appalling today and shocking today, including like both of those. Well, it's going to sound delirious. Roar and delirious are just like wall to wall with uh, you know homophobic jokes, and that's pretty much the source of all his humour. Um, you know, interestingly, 
Uh, no, I won't get into that. But um, yeah, you know, you, you, well, what I was going to suggest is, you, you know, you can ask yourself questions about why those jokes were being made at that point, and you can ask yourself questions about uh, how Hollywood would deal with a black gay man at that point in time. But um, in a way, though, isn't it? And this is kind of what I was sort of talking about with stand up, which is it's kind of a way of society processing some of these ideas. So in the early to mid eighties, like gay acceptance wasn't really, you know. Well, it, was it just, wasn't it was really a, there. In it was a terrible time. So, no, no, absolutely. And we, so, having someone like him up on stage talking about these things openly, and while it's incredibly off colour to us now, like at the time, it was actually breaking down some boundaries and just making it a bit more acceptable to talk about these things. Perhaps it was. Perhaps it was. But the, the, I mean, I guess the small point I'm trying to make is it's weird the way these um, distinctions are being drawn, and the way that like there's certainly no, um, th- th- there's certainly no uh, sort of. Uh, Standard for like you said this terrible thing you've got no career anymore you said this terrible thing you can't get to do that thing anymore it's all it all seems to be very up in the air depending on how much the media runs with it or how much a certain um, publication even will run with it and that's very interesting too I think it's and it's and it's very interesting that like Netflix is just going blah we're going to just let that stuff get out there because there's no other way there's no way that something else like that would have gotten um a worldwide distribution through any of the traditional media and he and he even makes comments about that you know like he talks about the censorship and the um censorship that he had to go through with Chappelle's show and all that kind of thing and how uh he you can you can tell him mentioning it in the spirit of talking about the freedom that netflix has afforded him by being able to do that so it's interesting hmm Mm. So, where can you find us, Chris? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. Uh, and I'm definitely going to watch all three just to kind of get my head around it and see where he's at and stuff. Like, he's just a he's a fascinating character, no matter how you look at it, and had such a massive cultural impact, um, especially on those uh, you know early 2000s. And for him to disappear into uh, oblivion at that point was extremely interesting. And I think for him to return now is also very interesting. Watching this special through, I was just really taken with the craft of it. And, you know, he's obviously a very talented performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, he's, and He's certainly not one of my favourite performers by any means, but I was just very impressed by him. And he's definitely, it's, it's calculated, you know, and it's, 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 it's deeply thought out in each way that, it, the way that it flows and the way that the, the audience reacts and everything that happens and the way that the, uh, uh, the media and, every, and everything has reacted since is obviously... None of it's a surprise to him. Like, it's all been very carefully crafted. So, it's kind of interesting watching that play out. I just keep saying interesting. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, he's a provocateur. Yes. And so, but, you know, sure he's, that's, doing it for, he's doing it for a very specific reason. But that's also a very convenient... Um, the, 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 the tag provocateur is also a very convenient one to add to somebody who's just outrightly speaking hate speech. So, I think that that's a... Uh, you know, you're using it. I feel like you're using it very correctly now, but it's also I, used very broadly too. I think there's people of whom refer to themselves as a provocateur just to say nasty, terrible yeah, things, exactly. which furthers their own agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's another thing to very craftily um, say something with the idea of eliciting a very specific response. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've just. I don't know what we've done. Okay, well, Chris, let's go off and, like, cure the world's ills. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, we, we, really got, we really uncovered some truths there, Dan. Yeah. <sighs> Chris Yates. Yes. Uh, if people want to find more Always Be Watching content, they can subscribe to the daily Always Be Watching newsletter, which has the day's interesting news and screen and TV culture. Uh, there's also a Facebook group called Always Be Watching Community. 
I love that thing. I yeah. love Facebook. On my Facebook app now, there's a bit that is just groups, so I don't have to see anything from any of my friends anymore. It's fantastic. I only look at the two or three groups that I care about on Facebook. Outside of that, nothing. Have you seen that new tab on your phone app? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I think it's new. Or maybe I just didn't notice it before. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't want to talk about, you know, the... Anyway, yes, get us on there. Um, read the newsletter. It's great. Uh, thanks for listening to this uh, very, very enlightening, well thought out, totally prepared podcast. <laughs> Absolutely prepared. Folks, this has been Always Be Watching. My name's Dan. I'm Chris. I hope you saved it in the edit, Dan. <laughs>